Do you believe it's already been five weeks of ordinary time? <laughs> feels like we just started, and now we're about to have another transition. Just a couple of days away, and we'll start the season of Lent. A time that was appropriated to the Christian life to focus, not explicitly, but especially on the mysteries of healing and ongoing conversion. And certainly there's no time that's inappropriate for this, but you know, we don't get as many opportunities within the, the cycle of the life, life of the faith that we share as an entire family in the faith. We, we don't get as much time to collectively ponder and circulate you know, the, uh, uh, the practices to welcome these graces as we do in this, these upcoming 40 days. In uh, recent pericopes that we've had, these uh, recent passages that uh, focus on Jesus in these past five weeks, they've really honed in on a message that prepares us for these coming 40 days. A message that's simplified by Mark that hones in on the kingdom that is coming and his compassion that reaches the countless sick that are brought to him announces what kind of kingdom this is. It's a kingdom that stands on a foundation of mercy. And before we make our transition to Ash Wednesday, I think it's important that we take a good look at what that means through this scene of the, of the leprous man who approaches Jesus with this sincerity, this, this, um, this desperation as he kneels before him. You know, for starters, no, you know, no one can take, I think it's important that, that, uh, to think that you know, no one can make the long journey that we have, nor make any sense of it for that matter, if we don't come to terms with this central component of who Jesus is, this compassionate and merciful, this merciful, compassionate and merciful heart that is his. And we're not talking about a mercy that just burns passionately within him. It's, his passion drives him, as it should drive us. It drives him to be audacious externally, to reach out to the poor and the abandoned, even if it causes uneasiness with the bystander who witnesses it, which is certainly what would have happened in Jesus' coming out and healing the leper as he did. Not just that he healed him, but in the way that he heals him. I suppose he could have, he could have just commanded the illness to go away as he has commanded many false, false spirits to just leave, leave a, a poor soul. But he goes further. He has the audacity you know, to have a compassion that moves him to stretch out his hand and touch this poor man physically in addition to the I do will it, be made healed, be made clean. Under the Mosaic law, this gesture was unlawful and would have rendered Jesus unclean as well in both body and spirit. But because, in this case, because it is the one who is the fulfillment of the law who is present, it is not the leper who has the spread of influence 
or an influence, excuse me, an influential spread. It's Christ, the high priest. The only ones in the Mosaic law that could encounter those with a leprous condition were the priests. Now that the high priest of us all is here, and now that he has made of all of us, within a baptismal priesthood, united to that, we're all sent out to experience and share a healing not just verbally, not just spiritually, but tangibly in the flesh. The thought of this truth ought to give us a new peace in our time where ailment, these, the illnesses that uh, have been troubling us over this past year, you know, we're still dealing with them. This truth, this message ought to give us a profound peace to respond to it anew. Even though illnesses have a way of affecting every part of the person, body, mind, even discouragement of the soul, no disease can cause separation from our Heavenly Father. No ailment can impair nor impede that relationship. In fact, such events as our Holy Father recently you know, made mark of or made note of such opportunities now can be opportunities by which the Holy Spirit can draw us in to an even greater endearment. Our transgressions, however, do make us impure, unlike these, these just these outward ailments. However, even in sin, that doesn't change our Savior's disposition to get to us, to reach out and touch us. In fact, as we, we should probably turn to St. Paul, who, who in his wisdom you know, makes it clear to the Christian community in Rome, he says, where sin abides, grace abounds all the more. The more we try to turn away, the harder the Savior labors to get to us. Or to put it in the description of St. Ignatius of Loyola in his first rule of the discernment of spirits, for persons in repetitious sin, the good spirit uses the method of stinging and biting at their consciences to bring them back. The Father, through his Son and the Holy Spirit, never gives up on his children. Neither should we, the children, give up on the generosity of his mercy. In the next couple of days, as we finalize you know, our plans, what uh, penances we'll take on, whether, whether or not you know, giving up sweets includes you know, sugar, uh, you know, sugar in our coffee and stuff like that, you know, or you know, what kind of prayers we'll take on, let's take a moment to ponder this mystery. How can we generously welcome mercy anew? How can we let it do more work? In what way can we freely say to, Lord, if you, you will it, please do your work. Make me cleaner. Make me more after your own heart. 
a repeated invitation made on our part to experience God's healing, particularly through the sacrament of reconciliation, will always yield a fruitful Lent and provide a birth to a joyful Easter, not only for ourselves, but for all others we've been called to love. That's the greater mystery, I suppose, when it comes to God's mercy. We ought to keep generously asking for it, not simply for our own sake, but in the greater, in the greater sense of things, because we are guaranteed to be asked for it. Let us welcome our Blessed Mother and St. Joseph to pace with us in this upcoming journey. Thanks be to God.